Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. to the Thinker Girls pod channel. I'm Stacey June. And I'm Christy Mercer. Are you talking slower than normal? Uh, yeah, because I was opening up a guest sheet. Oh. <laughs> I was doing two things at once. I was like, the speed of the vocal is different to yeah. what I usually hear on my ear holes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah I was, you got it. I'll speed it up to the speedy Gonzalez that I usually am. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. Today is an interview podcast. We drop all different shows on this pod channel. And today's interview is with Bronte Campbell, the Olympic and Commonwealth swimmer. Um, you may have realised who Bronte was. I'm not saying that you wouldn't have from her um, her athletic success, but there was a real big kind of um, press, I suppose, focus on her when her and her sister Kate. raced against mm. each other. Mm. Was it in the more recent Olympics or Commonwealth Games? Well, both. They've been racing against each other their but whole But there was lives. like one particular time where I feel like, I think it was the Commonwealth Games, where it was, I felt like the media was really on top of it. Maybe it was. The, no, not the, it was. It would have been a couple of years ago, the Olympics, I think 2016. Mm. Rio? No, I reckon it was the Com Games because oh. they were on Denton together. Oh, when, yeah. On Denton's and new there was show. That, there was the big story of them and they did the big, you know, family piece and they were, she was talking about, you know, that her their younger brother that was disabled and I think that was on 60 Minutes, a big piece that you got a real sense of watching and going, they're just decent humans, those girls. They're, they're just good people. Their parents uh, shipped them over from South Africa to Australia to hope that they were going to get the life that they dreamt for their family. And her story is really remarkable at how grassroots it begin. You know, at starts that she lived up around the corner from a pool and and was so 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 ambitious and determined as a young little girl. And I don't know if many of you have kids or many of you have little girls or you know, or or it takes you back to having that determination as a young girl. But there was this real evervescent energy that came out from her that you could tell would have been in her at a very, very young age. Mm, It was a really fascinating chat, I think. And you mentioned this in the the record that we did with Bronte um, when we did this a little bit ago, and that was... You're a very emotionally intelligent person, mm. just very switched on, kind of knows who she is and knows the way that people work and picks up on different bits and pieces that aren't necessarily obviously said, um, which I found, yeah, I've, I absolutely got that impression from her too. She's won 10 gold, nine silver, three bronze medals, Four. as well as setting the world record for the 100 metre freestyle relay at the Rio Olympics. Uh, she's an incredible, um, incredible girl and, and we were so happy that she joined us in the studio. So we hope you enjoyed this chat. Bronte Campbell, welcome to the Thinker Girls pod channel. 
Hello, thanks for having me. Well, you asked that in an awkward time. Bronte's just had a sip of water because you've come straight from the gym, Dale, with your hair's wet. Chrissy, it's just not about her time. Like We've just got to just jump in when we can. Well, it is exactly. with a special guest. It's all about you, actually. Well, I did kind of invade your home, so I feel like um, it could be on your terms a little bit. <laughs> You're looking at me as you say your home. It's not. It's with Stacey's Yeah, home. I'm sitting here going, exactly. No, it's I'm my not. home. I'm not. I'm not. But I am saying that I find it interesting with podcasts. A lot of talk shows and radio shows and all that traditional media are definitely very guest-focused, where this show seems to be a conversation, I think. Mm. So we're all jumping in when we want, just giving you a pre-warning too. Don't wait your turn. Because if you wait your turn... My turn's not coming. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> you, you strike me as somebody that would know how to elbow their way into a conversation, though. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, um. <laughs> like, in, like in a lovely way. I no, don't I'm... feel like you're waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder to be like, now's your time for your, your opinion. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of five kids, so if you didn't speak up, you didn't get heard. So Where are you in the five? Because it's in, it's yeah. interesting, is it, with famous families, because everybody just associates you as having a, you and your sister Kate being like, oh, the swimming girls. It's kind of like how there's another child that Will Smith has that everyone's like, oh, this poor other kid that's Wait, not- there's another one? Yeah. The- <laughs> He's got three kids? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> that's not Willow and that's also not-, not Jaden. And not Jaden. There's another one. So, like, who are the other poor- Like, the- your three other siblings are the unknown Will Smith child. <laughs> I know, and aren't they bloody lucky? Um, no, they're- I'm second eldest, so the- all the other ones are younger. How old and where's Kate in the situation? She's, she's, right? yeah, she's the eldest. Yeah. Oh, so it's me and Kate were the eldest two and then the rest of them. Right. And you guys were not born in Australia? No, we were all, except for the last one, we were all born in Malawi, which is in Africa. So tell us about that. How, what, um, where, who, what took you there? Well, what were your parents uh, doing there? Yeah, my parents took me there. I didn't have a <laughs> bloody choice. Um, my parents are both both South African uh-huh. and then they moved to Malawi and just got a job there and they loved it. So they just settled down there and... They were there for 10 years and had four kids there and then moved out to Australia. My younger brother is pretty severely disabled. He was had some major complications at birth, which um, a Malawian hospital can't even begin to deal with. So, yeah, right. Um, when they fell pregnant again with the youngest one, decided we had to, well, we'd always been, you have to get out of Africa at some point because mm. there's no opportunity there. And so that's when we all moved to Australia. So they crazy people that they are. Packed up their lives and with four kids under nine and seven months pregnant with another one, wow. landed in Australia. They had the phone number of one person who was a friend of a friend and that was it. So um, <laughs> they're completely nuts, but I'm really glad that they are. What um, legends? Are they still together now, your parents? Yeah, they are. Yeah, right. they're still going strong. So how were we when you moved to Australia? I was seven, um, which seems pretty young, but I can remember a lot from, from Africa. You remember a lot from when you're young. Well, so. I was going to say, what do you remember of that time and the, and the transition going from Malawi to Australia? Were you – I mean, I remember when Dad told us we were moving, you know, like – not even states, moving suburbs at, at 10. And we thought he was the worst person in the world because you've got all your friends, you know, you're set up. Were you happy to be moving at that time? What do you remember? I remember crying when we left because, mm. like, you're leaving all your friends behind. Mm. There was, like, a close expat community there. But I'm um, also really excited to come to Australia. Everyone had sort of... Australia's got a good rep overseas. We've got really good PR. Everyone yeah, wants to be here. Yeah. Um, but when we got here, like, just couldn't believe it. I mean, I come from... Malawi, where there's rolling um, blackouts every few hours, there's one traffic light which doesn't work, and if you left like 
your doors open, you got burgled. We had like guardsmen outside our uh, house, like keeping guard all night. We had like a little guard dog ready to go. And then we came here and no houses or fences. Did you have an idea that there was a whole other world going out there or did you just kind of take it on take it on the chin because you were a kid and that was what you grew up around. Yeah, you're a kid so you don't notice it, but you do, you obviously know that it's there. I mean, you go outside and um, all the street kids come and they all want to kind of have a play with you, which is fine. We used to play with them a lot, but um, you go outside and outside your door there's, there's beggars on the street. It's not like you don't notice it when you're a kid, mm. but um, it, it sort of just seems like that's the way things are. And we'd always bring food and give people food rather than um, give people money because that doesn't really um, do very much but yeah you just take it in your stride when you're a kid you don't realize like mm. that's not how the world should mm. be <laughs> and yeah. then once you move you're like oh my god this is so much better so when you get here how does swimming start to how does swimming start to kind of get into your into your mind and your heart I suppose because if you have such a success with something I suppose you you must love it yeah, well, actually, it was a bit more like a sickness. <laughs> I was obsessed. I um, I moved here. It was the year after the Olympics. I just watched all the swimmers dominate from Australia, and I knew mm. I was going to become and be part of this new country. And we moved just down so. The- so you were watching it from from, from Africa. Africa. Yeah, yeah. Right. so that's the two thousand Olympics. And so what you're saying is Nikki Webster did inspire your entire swimming career. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> well, there you go, Nikki Webster. You heard it here first, yeah. babe. <laughs> Uh, but you're so you're watching it and you're already knowing you're moving yeah yeah Yeah. already knowing that we were moving at that point so knowing I was going to be Australian and we moved in and didn't know anybody moved halfway through the school term so wasn't going to school until the end of that term and we moved within walking distance of the swimming pool so I used to get up and walk myself to the pool I was such a freak I used to get up and walk and go there like an hour and a half early so I could watch everyone else because I thought that would make me a better swimmer. But hang on, talk to me. You're seven years old. So how are you having that kind of... You were seven. Dis- like discipline I, or like knowing. I, you know I said it was like a sickness. It was like a proper obsession. But like, your parents are like, no worries, Bronte. You can go down an hour and a half before you need to actually be there. You just well, s- scroll down. I, I scroll could down. walk. So, and, and I mean, that's the other thing within Africa. Like we used to walk everywhere. Yeah. That's the other big thing. I never wore shoes. I didn't realize that you were supposed to. <laughs> so we used to walk everywhere with no shoes. It's like this weird kid who'd turn up for swimming like so early, wearing my hand-me-down clothes with no shoes on, and like just sit there. And people were like, "What is she doing here? Send that girl home." Oh my get god, her we, some shoes. We need to get a photo of you when you're eight. Like I just think we need to show our listeners exactly what you look like at then, because this is just too much. Like just imagining your little. So at this point, are you walking down to the pool because of the olympics or are you walking down to the pool because you want to learn how to swim like are you are you really at that point already quite visionary with what you want to do oh yeah no i knew wow. i wanted to go to the olympics um i already knew how to swim my mum had taught me my grand taught me um there wasn't really air conditioning in malawi so swimming was how we cooled off so i always i always swum and my mum was actually a synchronized swimmer for south africa so she's always been fantastic at swimming but no i wanted to go to the olympics from when i was seven and when you're seven that seems like a really easy, achievable goal. You're like, great, I'll just go to swimming every day and I'll just become an Olympian. You had a bit of a thorough, like there was a bit of a thoroughbred of a swimming culture around you at this point already. Yeah, I guess. I mean, my mum had done synchronised swimming and my dad's bloody hopeless at swimming. So that's always fun that I can beat him. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I just loved it. I just went down to the pool and my coach who was there has actually been my coach since I was seven years old, which is 
highly unusual. That Get out! Happen. The coach that you have now. Yeah, that's it was incredible. just like this little, this tiny little pool. Um, just a twenty-five little four lanes pool um, attached to the school, and I used to just go there. And for some reason, uh, him, who's um, he's one of the best coaches in the world, and he's just at this pool and ended up coaching me and my sister. And he's yeah had us since we were seven and nine all the way through to what 18 years so how does that does he see you watching like how does that relationship how did that relationship start well mainly he saw me there and he was like if I see you here anymore I'm gonna send you home and kick you out (laughs) do not come back I don't want to see you on Saturdays I don't want to see you twice a day (laughs) If, if you're here anymore you're not I'm not gonna let you get in the pool was pretty much what he said to me which was really smart because I was so obsessed with it when I was seven he was just like you need to take a step back you're seven like there's no seven-year-old Olympians <laughs> like wait wait until you're 17 and then we're like that that's so we you, put in the work so were you wow. taking that on board as a seven-year-old like did you did you have to form some kind of separation with it or did that make you more determined well it was it was good to say take a step back because you do see kids um getting thrown into things and then burning out by the time they're, they're ready to fulfill their potential. So it definitely made me take a step back, but um, it, didn't, it didn't quell my desire at all. It sort of made me more and more motivated. Which I think he probably would have known. Yeah. From, I, a, from a co- What's this coach's name? Simon. Simon. So from Simon's perspective, you're seven. He's looking at different uh, swimmers of all different ages, of all, you know, all different abilities. What's he looking for in a seven-year-old? Like, do you have to be a good swimmer or do you have to want to really want to be a good swimmer? Because can you learn it? Oh, yeah, you can learn it. You can definitely learn at, it. For, to be, have success at your level. Um, yes, but you have to have both. Like, you have to have talent and feel for the water mm. as well. I mean, I grew up with a lot of kids and we were all really motivated and all together, all doing the same number of sessions and their arms didn't grow long, they go through puberty, right. their bodies aren't the right shape for swimming anymore, or their shoulders aren't flexible and their ankles aren't flexible. Swimming's a lot about having really flexible joints. So at some point, you're either built for the sport or you're not. Right. Um, and it's not, it's not only about trying hard, which is why I feel so fortunate in that for some reason I picked a sport which my body was quite capable of doing. If I'd picked basketball, for instance, I'm quite tall. So people ask me if I do basketball all the time. My brain is not capable of coordinating that ball to the hands, to the in the hoop, like not my thing at all. I'll trip over and fall. So I could have picked that and been rubbish at it. So I was just really fortunate. I got obsessed with a sport that I was able to do. Well, there was something in you that obviously knew. Like it's interesting when you said, you know, we're at this shitty little pool, this four lane, 25 meter pool. And one of the best coaches in the world is just there. Like it sounds, it sounds to me a little bit like things just the universe kind of lined up. <laughs> unless like seven, were, unless seven year old Bronte's like best coaches in the world. You know <laughs> where, what I mean? Where like, is he hanging out? Did Google out? Like, exist? No. Google did not exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I can imagine little Bronte like I'm going to go find him, like, <laughs> little boss bitch, like with her with vision no, board, etc. And no shoes on. Like, yeah. No shoes. Yeah. I'm yeah. off. Yeah. But that's what I'm like. It does, and the, even the way that you said, and I just happened to. You know how some people you hear these stories and they just go, I don't know how it just happened, or I just fell into it, or I just met the right person who knew this person, who then it just kind of fell into place. Literally. It sounds, it sounds to me, and even the way you said, my body just grew into the exact way that it needed to be for me to exceed and excel in the sport that I had fallen in love with. It sounds a little bit written, kind of. It definitely does. And, I mean, I was, I'd was i come all the way from Malawi. My coach up until a year before had been 
in America mustering cattle. And then he came back to Australia and he was getting a job training horses. And the day before he was supposed to start, he tried to do an Irish jig and he broke his ankle. Wow. So that's how he ended up being a swim coach. Oh, my um, God. I mean, his, his dad was an Olympian and a bronze medalist and his great uncle's also a swim coach. So he's always been around swimming. But um, that's sort of how he ended up. He could have been coaching horses and I could have um, gone into a program, a swim program, where they just like... I don't know, for want of a better word, just beat the shit out of the kids all the time. Like, there's, there's swim programs when they're kids and they just, like, pump them as hard as they can when they're young. And if I was in that, I would have I would have stopped swimming because I would have hated it. And when you're seven, you are mm. influenced by what your coach says, by what your siblings say, by what your parents say. If somebody's saying, you're not really that good at it or, you know, I don't have the time to take you on a Saturday, you know, that can really shape and form the rest of your life. Yeah. And my parents were super nice. I mean, they're fantastic about it because we all used to sit in the back of the car and we'd be, oh, what are you going to do when you uh, get back from the Olympics? And we'd all talk about all the things <laughs> we were going to do after we'd all been to the Olympics together. And they were never like, oh, guys, you know, you're probably not going to make it to the Olympics. Yeah. They never told us no, which was pretty powerful. We never believed that we couldn't do it which is pretty naive because, I mean, out of the 10 of us, two of us probably went to the Olympics. But um, it was a powerful thing, them not saying, by the way, guys, don't dream that big. <laughs> I think it is. I really do think it is. That's what I wanted to ask you about, which I'm sure every, like everybody in every interview ever wants to ask you about because it is pretty rare, as you say, not only to say at seven I'm going to make the Olympics and then you do, but then also to have somebody like your older sister doing the exact same thing that is essentially when the when it comes down to it your biggest rival but also your best mate i want to interject that because the reason you know that you shot to a lot of people's uh television screens was the denton interview with you and your sister so some people might be listening may have seen that interview Mm. and not have put two and two together Mm. so let's go back to when you were seven and started swimming was your older sister kate at the time a swimmer as obsessed with swimming as you or was that kind of a bug that you um that she kind of caught from you yeah she definitely caught that from me so she <laughs> and was... how and how do you feel about that because i'm <laughs> well it's because actually... when you're when you're seven and you do something first like i even know who was the pink power ranger like if you i had a younger sister so if you said you were something first like you were that character yeah and that was the biggest thing we would always fight over so is that, is that a wound that is still not yet healed because it was your thing for first? Well, I actually think it's kind of my fault. So what, <laughs> what happened was I was obsessed with it. I went to training all the time. I tried really hard. Kate sort of went to training and does that thing where you like turn around at the flags and push off like the bottom of the pool and she just like didn't really give a shit. So um, <laughs> when we went to our first competition, I won like all my 25 meter sprints and got my little age championship trophy and Kate got like a little bronze medal, which was great. But um I kind of showed off a lot and like wore my medals around, like brought my trophy to the table. And, but yeah, Kate got a bit upset and um, she'd stolen my medals and stuff. And mum sort of sat her down and was like, look, Kate, you don't work hard. Bronte works hard. If you want the medals, you have to work hard. And from then on, she worked hard and she's been um, incredible and incredibly hard for me to beat since then. So I look back at little seven year old Bronte, I'm like, why can't you just minded your own business? Like, <laughs> Why do you have to parade your medals around? This could have all been avoided. Like, I mean, this year I'm second fastest in the world for this year. I'm the fastest person in the world is my sister. Like, you could have been the fastest. <laughs> because it was, if it wasn't for Kate, you would be the fastest, right? Exactly. Wow. <laughs> 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. It mustn't always have been easy, you know, because at the same time, you, there's lots of jokes and there's obviously a lot of love. She's your sister. And by the sounds of it, your family are very um, open and encouraging and uh, kind. You just see that by meeting you. It, your eyes kind of twinkle that you come from a nice place, a nice home. But I, I guess in the end of the day, there's everybody has their insecurities. Everybody has those moments where you're like, fuck, and you're thinking of the other person and that person generally isn't either a friend or a, a person, like a person that is in your family. Has there been moments where you've had to overcome from that relationship? Yeah, definitely. It's not always easy. I mean, there's times when it's really easy when you're in, say, an Olympic final and um, the other person and there's your sister. And if, if you can't do well, all you want is for the other person mm. to do well. Like, mm. it's it's not so much about you two then. It's about the two of you versus the world, which is which is a pretty big thing. But um, it is rough when someone doesn't do as well as they want to do and you do, you do better. I mean... The Com Games is is a good instance of that when, I mean, Kate did Kate did a pretty good time, but I just did like this amazing race, and it's not and it's not so much from within the two of us that the dynamic changes. It just it changes because people come up to you on the street and say stupid shit. Yeah, like after Com Games, a lot of people would come up. That and, was your world record, right? When you hit um, the world record? No, that was that was in the relay. We got the world record together. Oh, yeah. Um, I've never broken an individual world record. Only Kate did that. But um, I don't know. People come up to you in the street and they're like, you, you and we're both standing next to each other. Kate and me are standing there and they'll be like, oh, Brunty, like, I'm so glad you won. I just really like, I was really going for you. I wanted you to win. And I'm really glad that that happened for you. And Kate's standing right there. And the opposite happens all the time as well. Like they'll come up to Kate and be like, great job. You did so well. And they just ignore the other person, even though you're standing right there. So you get to have like, it's good because you get a very good view of um, how much people love you when you're winning and how much they don't give a shit when you're not. 
which is um it's good to be exposed at a young level i mean even like all those years when i was swimming and i was getting better and better and better mm. kate was a very well-known swimmer at that point and um everyone used to come and talk to Kate about swimming and then they'd sort of be like oh and oh, do you swim too and I was like yeah a little mm. I, <laughs> I think but I, do, I do think sometimes with the uh the attitude of I wanted you to win or I wanted you to win I feel like some people in their own sibling relationships it's that self-projection thing where I think some people would feel no when like would not have a comfortable bone in their body having a sibling do the same thing and be better than them. So I think in a one some kind of sick way, although you're like, that's actually really rude what you just said, in a way I think people feel as though they're paying you a compliment and would that would oh, not be rude do. at all. No, they do. And they definitely – people mean well – most of the time and you can see it but they don't think that you're a person when they're talking to you they think that you're an athlete or yeah they don't don't really they don't they don't think it through which is which is fine and i'm never i'm never rude to anyone i never even tell them that they're rude just like smile and whatever but um that's sort of when it gets to be a big deal because um for a long time after a meet you're sort of reliving it through everyone else's expectations Mm. when they're coming to talk Mm. to you i'd much rather just like have the meet be in my little bubble and then disappear. I think it's really interesting because from the outside, a lot of people would assume that the harder parts are when you are coming second or not having a great day. But I think it's really interesting point to say that actually it can be quite hard when you are getting ahead because then you're very protective or kind of worried about your sibling or worried about their experience and that... is hard because it means sometimes and actually this is a question more than a, a statement does it mean that sometimes it is harder for you to relish in your um, success when you're also quite naturally worried about somebody that you love yeah definitely I mean it's it's fantastic when um when you both do well together that's a really good feeling and that's why we love mm, the relay the relay would be, be like a good example of that hey, in the same yeah. race and you get yeah. to really work together and achieve something but it is hard when you've you've achieved something you really want and you see that um your sister the, the person you're closest to in the world has not really done what they wanted to do and it definitely takes away from it but um do you feel like not you have in to a bad s- way do you ever mm. feel like you have to celebrate less in those instances like no with, no no, because she's always celebrating with mm, me. Like in, okay. in that in that exact moment when it happens, she's obviously like disappointed, but also elated at yeah. the same time. So there's a good mix of feelings going on, and it's not it's not we're lucky in swimming in that it's not just about the place that you get. You can also have like a fantastic race and have a great time and know that you've done a good job. It's yeah. not it's not just measured sort of. Well, the grand, the grand final, you win or lose. You yeah, know, exactly. You've got a whole exactly. season and one game goes. A Collingwood supporter, I really am feeling that <laughs> right now. She's really felt <laughs> that um, recently. Uh, but it, I want to talk about being an Olympian and and that, I suppose, space that you hold with other fellow Olympians that the rest of us will never really understand, particularly an Australian Olympian. How has it been looking from that standpoint to the rest of the community and seeing the way they look back at you? What have you noticed about the way people look at you as an elite sportsman in this country, sportswoman in this country? That's a very, very good question because I do think about it a lot and it changes for each Olympics. I think um, your first Olympics is a really, really fun thing. So I was just just turned 18 had sort of no expectations and Mm -hmm. people are just excited to see you go over there and then um my second time round 
Um, I'd been the world champion from the year before and suddenly there's a ton of expectation. And once again, I don't think people mean badly, but we have this very weird sports culture yeah. where we sort of... so we, intense. Very, very intense. And um, there would... I mean, people would come up in the street before you left and they'd be like, oh, like, good luck over there. All I want is for you to win gold, which is, which is fine because that's obviously what they want. But I don't think they hear what they're saying. They're saying, all I want is for you to win gold. Like, yeah. not all I want is for me to feel proud of you not or not and they sometimes I get this thing where I'm like do you have the right to want that for me yeah because you didn't you didn't really do anything to help me get there but it's this real sense time, of love, ownership though yeah, in Australia isn't it there even, is. which is great for this sense of community but you even see that with footy finals over the last couple of weeks like my team or my boys Look what or how we did, did we go we did this yeah. and it's, it's I love that they get on board that much yeah. but um sometimes I look at it and I'm like is that entirely healthy i think but it's for the most much part, more it's extreme when you're an individual too yeah <laughs> because you know with the team there's a culture there's a club there's a there's a coaching team there's a pr team there's supporters a cheer squad the works when it's you obviously you've got your coaching team but it is very different for you to go get a coffee and somebody to come up to you personally and say you must win gold but i think the other really nice thing is that um, as people get to know you as a person, and this is why I love um, going and doing like more informal sort of th- things, then they, they learn your story and they really get on board with that. And once they know that, of course, they're, they're in it. They're empathetic. They've got compassion. And um, I'm not sure whether it's – I mean, I'm talking about a few individuals. On, on the whole, people are really, really supportive. Mm. And as, as they learn more of your story – and what I learned from, um, from Rio – so I went into Rio, which not anyone knew at the time, but I had about eight months of – pretty much every single training session being compromised over an injury but I didn't really want to tell anyone um because you don't that's the last thing you want to go do before going into olympics who knows who does know who knows yeah Um, at that time my coach my family um a few a few people in swimming community knew because I wasn't racing like we'd have other races I was like I can't race that was a big challenge for me because I've always being able to work really hard in the pool and then I stand up behind the blocks and you've got this great feeling where you look at everyone else in the race and you're like, well, I've done the work to be here and now let's just like, let's go, let's see what we've all got on this day. Um, and then going into an Olympics when you're standing up behind the blocks and it's the biggest stage in the world and you're like, I have not been able to do the work to be here. Mm. I haven't haven't been able to do it and it's, it's, it's a hard thing to back yourself when you haven't put in the work to back mm. yourself. So that was a very interesting challenge for me. And then it became about figuring out what I could do right. So mm. making all the all all the little, um, everyone talks about 1%ers, but making sure that everything was as perfect as I could get it. And realizing that it's not realistic to expect to go a personal best time after eight months of compromised training. And then after that, the challenge is figuring out, okay, so we can't do what we used to do. There has to be another way. Of course, there's another way. Let's figure out what the other way is now and figure out how to work out around the injury. And that's taken three years. Um, but we're in a we're a pretty good place now where it's, it's, it's pretty much manageable pain and it's manageable for training. And we've had to change pretty much everything that we would normally do. 
But it ended up in a great result in Com Games. That was a personal best time. That was mm. um, an amazing swim for me. And I definitely did not think that that was possible. I've always been so fascinated by the psychology, not just behind elite sports people, but especially Olympians. I just think there is, like, when you think of yeah, an Olympics, crazy. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it is honestly down to maybe a matter of a, a four-minute race or a three-minute race, sometimes even less than that, and that can be four years' worth of work. The psychology behind leading up and the pressure and the headspace and the fitness level to come down to, as you said, when you're standing behind the blocks, it is a day. If it was the day before, you could have been the best on that day. A day after, you could have been the best on that day. But on that day, you're standing behind the blocks, you could not be. And that's four years' worth of work to get there. I mean... What? What sounds kind of, absolutely nuts? Doesn't is that it? what I mean? I've I know. I'm watching your face. I'm like, Christy, calm down. <laughs> like I'm seeing her hear her own life in front but of her, going, "Whoa!" I'm like, "Oh kid. no, it's not worth it. I'm out." Since <laughs> I've been a little kid, I remember Mum and Dad being like, "Yeah." I was like, "When's the next Olympics?" I was probably around the one before 2000 uh, Sydney Olympics, and I remember them saying it happens every four years. And I just ever since then, I'm like. That's mental. Like that is, it's a long time to prepare for something that that can be so short. Yeah. So, I mean, when you sell it like that, when you're like, okay, so you're going to wait four years and then you're going to get one shot, your race is under 30 seconds long and you get a chance to put all your dreams into 30 seconds. Do you want to do that? If you sold that to a kid, they'd be like, no. (laughs) Does that terrify you or motivate you? Well, it's extremely motivating because it's always been my dream and I love... I mean, I'm talking about I'm talking about pressure in a negative way before. It's more as like other people's expectations I find frustrating to deal with because they're never really based on reality. They're based on something else. They're based on what they've been told or what they've been fed or their own idea of what's going on. But I love the pressure of like mm. standing up and racing. I love the idea of standing up behind the blocks and you're all pitting yourself against the other people who are there and it helps that all those girls have been racing for years so we're good friends as well but I love I love it like more more than anything I love racing and that's and that's that's the thing you love racing and yeah it's you not, don't approach it like that one day right because you're training every day you're, training like you're every swimming day. Every, every day every year yeah. there's a major comp mm-hmm. this year there's com games next year there's world championships and then there'll be olympics world champs com games it's it's cycles okay. through so it's not like once every four years, you get to compete. We're oh, competing God, all the I time. Can <laughs> my breath of relief over here. <laughs> um, and I mean, back to Christy's point that she started with uh, with the psychology of it. What do you do for your mental health? How, what is in the program for swimmers to really, I guess, master that psychological aspect of the job? Look, there hasn't actually been a lot, and it's good that we're now sort of exploring it a lot more. Um, particularly in just making swimmers people too. It's quite an insular sport and it's also quite controlling and kids are young when they start. Yeah. So young when you start and you never sort of, your whole life is about swimming and then you mm. finish and like, where is your identity anymore? So, um, well, we've seen that with so, so, see many, it, see so many Olympians. All swimmers the time. in particular. Swimmers in yeah. particular. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you see it with swimmers because you, you see swimmers, they're, they're quite visible. But it's it's across all sports that... You define yourself by what you do every single day and it's where you've got all your value as a human being, which is, is really, really sad, but it's it's hard not to be like that because as soon as you do well, everyone loves you, everyone's congratulating you and you feel self-fulfilled and you're getting fulfillment from everyone else and you take all of that away. So it's um it's something I'm quite interested in and passionate about, sort of 
pushing um so in making the pr- people a bit more well-rounded outside of so the sport. in the program they people aren't encouraged to see therapists or have that kind of version of training the psychological or a psychologist part. or something yeah so sports psychology we've had one on the team for a few years and um people are encouraged to see whoever they want outside of that um it doesn't always mean that it happens yeah, i mean right. i definitely do i love i've, I've seen few different ones in the past but seeing someone who's not really a psychologist who's more of like a human behaviorologist mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. super interesting because that's then all about um your hormone levels and how that sort of impacts your mental state mm-hmm. and then how you can mm-hmm. reverse engineer that and um thoughts and processes and physical things that you can do to bring down your stress and um decrease cortisol blah 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 all that you're very intelligent <laughs> you are you've got it so? yeah i do yeah, you're in tune and i yeah. well i think you good job um, of fooling you there <laughs> no i do i think you are because i think you are very inquisitive like you'll look at things and, oh, i love looking at things. Yeah, yeah do, do you know what i mean and, and i think to me that's what is the definition of intelligence it's not book, you know, it doesn't have to be this book smart kind of, even though it sounds like you are. But I think it is interesting that people, you know, that that do succeed the way that you have, that do have the ability like you to have gone across injuries and gone, how do we overcome that or what's the other option? And I think that that requires intelligence. Yeah, I think um, mental flexibility is highly underrated um mm. more more than being and we talk about it a bit with psychology stuff more than being mentally tough you want to be mentally flexible you want to mm. be able to bounce back from things you don't always want to be like tough mentally tough like what does that even mm. mean does that mean you're stoic does that mean that you sort of subscribe to this idea of like suppressing and controlling your emotions mm. you just want to be mentally flexible and want to be able to and open and in speaking about that you would be the perfect person to help out some of our posse members so we do a posse podcast where we get people that listen to the show our beautiful uh, posse to email us or slide into our dm with a question for our beautiful guests that come in and we've got one of them if you wouldn't mind sticking around that we can chuck up on the channel tomorrow yep that sounds good all right we're gonna call her karen Okay. So will you help Karen? <laughs> I will try and help Karen. Can I not be held liable if it all goes completely pear-shaped? Welcome you guys to our entire channel. <laughs> we don't say we know shit. We just give it a go. Oh, yeah, Bronte great. Campbell, what a stunning conversation this has been with you. Absolutely. Thanks beautiful. for having me, oh, guys. It's just been the best. We could have spoken for days. You can find her on Instagram, Bronte underscore Campbell, or on Twitter. Um, we are really grateful for your time. Oh, hey, are you sad the party's over? You don't need to be because we're still partying over on Instagram. The Thinker Girls is where you can find us. Catch a bro by. This podcast is presented by The Thinker Girls, Stacey June and Christy Mercer. This podcast is produced by me, Christy Mercer, and edited by our podcast producer, Jordan Lott. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.